this time, uh, we're going to have Word of God uh, presented to us by Pastor Jonathan Newfeld. He's one of the pastors at New Philadelphia Church, so let's welcome him up. All right. It is good to be here. Amen. Are you guys excited to be here? Is it an exciting thing to pray on behalf of this nation? I think so often, uh, you know, we can just come to prayer meetings and just kind of show up and, and forget what we're actually doing and forget the authority that we carry as sons and daughters of the living God. And, uh, and really, when you think about it, there, there really isn't much more exciting than partnering with the heart of God for the revival of a nation. Amen? Amen. These are precious, sweet times. I hope you feel the precious, sweet times as they are fire-filled. They are precious. And I really feel uh, what's on God's heart today for, for me to speak forth from this pulpit is further revelation concerning what it means to have authority in the name of Jesus. The authority which we possess in Jesus' name. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray right now as we get into it that God would release wisdom and revelation through this room powerfully tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for the time you just gave us in your presence, God, declaring your heart, declaring your passions and desires over this nation, God, for the strongholds that were just torn down over the last 10, 15, 20 minutes, God, even through praise, the strongholds that were torn down in the place of praise, God. We thank you, Lord, for raising up your church at this hour, God, to take hold of your willingness for revival across this nation, God. And tonight we ask, Lord, for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in greater degrees, Lord, to fill this place, to invade our lives, God, to open our our eyes, God, open the eyes of our hearts, God, to know, God, who you are to greater degrees and to know who we are because of what Jesus has done to greater degrees, Father. So I declare wisdom and revelation pouring out in this place tonight through this word. We thank you for it. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. When I was, when I was growing up and, and when I was going through time in Sunday school and time in Christian private schools and Bible college and that sort of thing, one of the things that I learned about is authority in Christ, the authority I have because of what Jesus has done for me through the cross, through the resurrection, the authority I have because of that. But my understanding of the authority that I had in Christ was largely focused on the authority that I would have when I ruled and when I would rule and would reign with Christ in heaven. Because we have this, this sense, like the book of Revelation, all the glory that happens there and being, you know, ascending to, to the place of heaven and ruling and reigning with Christ. And how in Revelation 3 it says, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit on my throne. And the throne of God is a place of rulership and the place of authority. And so I always had this concept that someday I would rule and reign with Christ. I was destined for greatness and glory to rule and reign with him forever. 
And this, this mindset was, was pretty set in my mind. It was not really firmly challenged until a couple of years ago. And, and what happened a couple of years ago, one of the things that happened was uh, our brother Jinu Oh. You guys remember Jinu? He's you know, drummed with us at the hillside at New Philly for a long time. Uh, he was recording an album. He's like a fantastic musician, professional musician. He travels around a lot, does a lot of uh, worship events and that sort of thing. But he was recording an album. And I think a number of you have the album. We were selling it at, at Hillside for a while. And, um, and so Jinu, uh, he wanted um, someone to pray an English prayer. Uh, to kind of set up the third track of his album. This, the third track of his album is, is, is a track about God pouring out his, his love and his power and his glory on his people. And so uh, because I was, I was the, the worship leader at that time, and I guess I spoke good English, and Jinu liked me, he wanted, and I was pastor, uh, he wanted me to, uh, to speak that prayer, to record that prayer for him. Uh, to set up the third track. And so he kind of gave me the concept of it, and, you know, it's about pouring out and about, you know, uh, how God's people are kind of dry and thirsty and, you know, kind of a, an Ezekiel 37 sort of thing uh, where, where God's calling dry and thirsty bones uh, awake and alive. And, uh, and so with the concept that Jinu gave me, I, uh, I formulated a prayer just kind of quickly, wrote it out, and um, then I got into a studio and I recorded it. And uh, it sounds pretty good, I think. Uh, for those of you who have heard it, I like because I, I, you know, I, I took more of an authoritative. I lowered the tone of my voice, and it starts, "Father, consider your children." And you can all buy the album later and listen to it. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I, I, I spoke this prayer. I recorded this prayer, and apparently the Koreans really like it. That's what Jinu told me. They really liked my voice. I was really blessed by that. Uh, uh, but uh, one of the lines that I, I prayed in that, uh, in that prayer, um, after I had recorded it, didn't quite sit well with me. I knew that it was true, but I, there was a stirring in my heart for something greater, something beyond that. And... And the line was this. I said, I prayed, Father, awaken your children to their destiny as those who will rule and reign with Christ. Awaken them to their destiny as those who will rule and reign with Christ. And at the time I recorded it, I thought, that's, that's a great line. That's a great prayer. We want people to be awakened to that. But afterward, there was this discontent in my spirit. And I thought, you know, although that's completely true, it's doctrinally sound. There's something more. And I actually, I, I asked Jim, Jim, can we, can we record that again? He's like, no, 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 it's good. It's good. It's, it's okay. You know, I, and he really liked it. And it, it is good. It's a good line. But what stirred in my spirit was that there was something more than that. There was something current that wasn't being addressed in that prayer. And it was in that time of just reflecting on that, God led me to Ephesians 2. And I'll ask you to open your Bibles to Ephesians 2, a passage that maybe you know well. The album's really good, by the way. You should, you should go buy the album. Bless you, Jenny. 
Uh, Ephesians 2. Looking at verse 4, it says this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Highlighting verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us up with him in the heavenly places. Those two verbs, raised and seated, You'll notice they're in the past tense. This is something, beloved, that has already happened. And I even, I even checked it out. I checked it out in the Greek. Last week at Sunday Swim at New Philly, Pastor Christian, you know, he's studying Greek and he's challenging, you know, the leaders of the house to, to get into their Greek. And so I, you know, I'm making a bit more of an effort to get into the Greek again. And uh, just to make sure I studied in the Greek, those two Greek verbs are both past tense. When you parse them, they are third singular aorist Verbs. For those of you who will study Greek, and many of you will study Greek, you'll get to parse verbs, and it's awesome. But just to, just to clarify, those are past tense verbs. He raised us up, and he seated us with Christ. Do you know what that means? The implication is this, that in Christ, we are already seated on the throne of glory with Christ. It happened when you gave your life to Jesus... When you surrendered your life to him, you were ascended into the place of government. You ascended into the place of glory. You ascended into the place of authority in the name of Jesus. You rule and reign with Jesus right now. Right now. You know, that God actually didn't give you uh, a choice in the matter. He didn't ask your opinion. When you came to Christ, he didn't, like, there aren't different levels of, you know, of status in the kingdom of heaven, in terms of this at least, that there, there isn't a second-rate Christian who, who doesn't have access to the throne of God and who isn't there already in the spirit. It's already happened. And so we physically sit in this room on these plastic chairs which are great. We love being here in the physical realm. But in the spiritual realm, we are seated with Christ in heaven on his throne of glory. That's where you really are. You know, we, we tend to have this distinction between what's, what's physical and what's quote-unquote real or quote-unquote, um, you know, tangible. And what's spiritual. And we tend to devalue the spiritual because we can't sense it with our five senses. But I'll tell you what's a greater reality. A greater reality than you sitting in this room is that you're seated with Christ in heaven. That is a greater reality. That is an eternal, infinite reality. Because this all is going to pass away. It's going to fade away. Everything's going to burn, Second Peter says. But where you will be for eternity is seated with Christ in heaven, in the place of glory, in the place of authority, in the place of rulership. We're there right now. As we were praying just now, we were sitting 
with Christ in the place of rulership. We need to get that. That is our position. That's our true position, our real position. Okay? We got that? Very good. The thing is that humans were created to rule. Humans were made to rule. This is true for all humans. When God gave Adam and Eve what's called the cultural mandate, he said, be fruitful and multiply. And he said, take dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and everything that lives that's on the ground. He said, take dominion. It was for man to take dominion on earth. Men were to rule. Men and women were to rule on earth. Psalm 115 says that the heavens belong to God, but the earth he has given to the sons of men, to us humans. He has given humans authority on earth to rule and to reign, to exercise authority. And it's interesting that everyone in the world kind of has a sense of this. It doesn't matter. It's regardless of your religious background, regardless of your ethnicity, everyone has this, this innate sense inside of them that they're called to something greater. They were made to something more. Everyone. Well, it doesn't matter if you're Buddhist, Hindu, agnostic, atheist, Muslim. It does not matter. You're all, everyone has this feeling. They, they were called to something more. They were made for something more. And that's why we have stories. That's why people of every religion and every ethnicity write stories. And these stories are all about being something beyond what you think you are right now. Like, people write these epic stories so that other people can get lost in the identity of someone else. And that's why people have video games. You know, StarCraft, Warcraft, whatever else is out there these days. I don't know what people are playing in, you know, PC bongs and wherever else. But the whole point of these games is to get lost in this fantasy world that you believe is beyond where you are right now. Because your life you feel is so dull and so dry, you want to have power. You want to have authority. You want to rule something. And we need to understand that the desire to rule and have authority is not a sinful desire. That's actually part of being human. If you were to say, I feel that's all sinful. I have this, this desire to rule over something. And that, that's, you know, and you were to say, I want to remove every desire that I could have to rule and to reign over something, I would say that you've become less than human because humans were made to rule over something. Every human is made to rule. That's in, in the natural, there is order, of course. You're not you're trying to rule something that you aren't given authority to rule over. But every human is called to rule over something. And we all understand that. So we think of the most epic movie. That's a great song. <laughs> think of the most epic movie that you've ever watched. Everyone have in your mind something that is truly like, just like really incredible. That's like really inspirational that, that is, 
has really blessed you in that way. You know, just something really epic. You'll have something. Something really, really, I'm going to take a minute because I don't think everyone has something. You guys are just nodding your heads. I don't believe you all. <laughs> I want everyone in this room, have in your mind some like epic movie. And I want you to actually take, take a second, tell your neighbor, what is the movie? It might be a true story. It might not be a true story. It might be totally fiction. Okay, bring it back now. You guys, you guys all have a chance to share? That's good. That's good. Okay. I, I, see, I see our minds going now. We got it. You think, think of that epic movie. When I think, when I think of an epic movie, uh, some guys are they're still working on it back there. That's good. I know you're into it. That's important. When I think of an epic movie, now I, I grew up in the 80s. I'm a bit older than some people. I grew up in the 80s. When I think of an epic movie, I think Star Wars. Okay, no, no, not, not like the episode one, two, three. This is episode four, five, six. This is A New Hope. This is Empire Strikes Back. This is Return of the Jedi, okay? These are epic movies, and they're filled with all kinds of, like, like lots of New Age stuff, lots of, like, Buddhist stuff, because that, that's, like, that's all throughout these, these movies. But epic movies. In the 80s, I mean, what kid did not want to be Luke Skywalker? Really, I... I'm getting some blank looks, and, like, some people are just too young for this. I know. I, <laughs> I'm a little bit older. But, I mean, what, honestly, everyone wanted to be Luke Skywalker because he had, he was growing throughout the movies in authority, in power, in understanding who he actually is and the authority that he actually possessed. And he did cool things. He had a lightsaber, and he knew how to, like, had to, had to even block blaster shots with his lightsaber, right? And he knew how to fight with it. And he knew how to move things with his mind. You know, because Yoda taught him how to move things with his mind. And it was really cool. And, uh, yeah, and, and, so, and he ended up, you know, saving the universe, essentially, from the Emperor and the dark side of the Force. And he's the big hero who wins the day. I used to have dreams, actually, about Star Wars. And I, I'm, I'm totally not a Star Wars geek. I'm not like that. But I, I still, it was significant to me, you know? But anyways, when I think of Star Wars, and, and I put that in the scope of reality, I realize that my position of authority is far greater than that of Luke Skywalker's. Whatever person, whatever hero of whatever movie you were just thinking of, your position in Christ, because of what he has done for you, is infinitely greater than that person's position of authority and rulership. Infinitely greater. You, beloved, you have to see yourself for who you are. It's not because of what you've done. It's because of what Jesus has done. And now he has ascended you into the throne of God, and you possess authority beyond what you realize because of what Jesus has done. The thing with these stories is that people write them and they have the sense that these stories are too good to be true, right? 
But for, for a, a little while, we exit out of what we think is our reality, and we enter into the story, into what we feel is too good to be true because it feels good to us. But what I want to emphasize in this is that these stories are not too good to be true. These stories are too small to be true. They're not too big to be true. They're too small to be true. Because the truth of the kingdom of God is is infinitely greater than this. All of these stories, these stories in some form or another point to something that's real. Because God has put the concept of story inside of all humans. That's a God-given gift. And they're pointing towards something that's beyond. The stories that you read in books, the movies that you watch, they're really too small to be true. And we've been created for so much more. Another movie that's, that's really epic, that, and I, I feel a, a fresh release to use movie analogies after last week at, at Hillside. Pastor Aaron preached on, on Mission Impossible, and you guys should all, if you didn't catch it, you've got to catch it. So a fresh release to use movie analogies. But uh, um, what's probably my favorite movie, which really is my favorite movie, is the movie The Matrix. Okay. And, I mean, Matrix, the, the, the series gets a lot of flack. I mean, especially the second and third film. A lot of people say it doesn't add up, and it, you know, it doesn't quite add up, all the things about it. But the first movie in particular is an incredible movie. And just by a show of hands, how many people have seen The Matrix? So I know who I'm talking to here. Okay, thank you. If you haven't seen it, you should really, you should really see it because it's an incredible movie. And what I really love about this movie is that it's, it's more than anything else. It's the story of a man who's, whose name is Neo. His name is Anders. I, I can't even remember his first name, his first real name. What is it? Mr. And yeah, Mr. Mr. Anderson. Okay. Yeah. But his name is, is ultimately for the movie. It's ultimately the name Neo. And the story is about Neo's journey of self-realization. Throughout the movie, it's, it's really about him coming to the understanding of who he really is. And I see three different, I guess, levels of self-realization that Neo goes through in the movie. I'm just going to outline them quickly and show, them, show you how they apply to us. The first level of realization for Neo is, what do I have here? It's just the, the level of recognizing the enemy. Okay, throughout the movie, uh, the movie is really about, if you haven't seen it, it's about uh, how machines have taken over the earth and how humans have been driven underground and they're essentially running for their lives and trying to preserve their lives. And so there are these special computer programs, which are called agents, that the humans are particularly afraid of because they're particularly powerful. They're kind of like... In the, the analogy is that they're, they're kind of like demons, okay? They're like, they're, like, they're like demons. And so the humans, I'll leave it there without getting too much into it. The humans spend the vast majority of the movie running away from these agents because these agents are, you know, they, their mission is to destroy the humans ultimately. And, and so Neo, being a human, his first level of authority, which is not much at all, is that he recognizes the enemy and he runs away from them. 
Okay, he's taught when you see an agent, you run away. Throughout the movie, though, he starts to understand who he is. His second level of realization later on in the movie is to take a stand against the agents. Okay, so there's a scene in the movie where he's facing off against an agent who has a gun and he's shooting at him. And so instead of running away from the agents, Neil starts dodging bullets. And you know the famous, this, this scene right there that you see so many people do, right? So yeah, I didn't go too low down. I can't do it the way he does. Uh, but Neil starts dodging bullets. He sees the enemy. He recognizes the enemy. And he, he's learned the discernment, the, the act of a discernment in in, uh, in dodging the attacks of the enemy. But ultimately, he's ineffective against the enemy because he's just trying to protect himself from their attacks against him. And this is like, you know, going on a missions trip and being aware that there is spiritual, dark, spiritual darkness where you're going, but your whole focus is the enemy. Your whole focus is we need to protect ourselves against the enemy because there are great attacks coming against us. We need to be aware of this. So we're going to clothe ourselves in the blood of Jesus and we're just going to protect ourselves from the enemy. We're in the darkness, but we're not doing anything on the offensive to really expand or extend the kingdom of God. That's, that's a certain level of, of realization and the authority we have. But it's not until the end of the movie where Neo really finally starts to understand who he, who he actually is and the power and the authority that he possesses. At the very end of the movie, there is a scene where Neo is facing off against three agents. And he has nowhere to run. He has no gun. He's defenseless. The agents pull out their guns, and they start shooting at Neo. And it's in this moment where he realizes who he actually is, and the authority that he walks in. And all he does is simply say, no. The bullets are flying at him, and he just says, no. The bullets stop in air, and they fall to the ground. And at this point, Neo charges the main agent, destroys him, the other two agents see the, the main agent destroyed, and they run for their lives. And Neo has entered into the fullness in the, in the movie, the fullness of the identity of, of who he is. He's not just recognizing the enemy. He's not just sustaining his own life in the presence of the enemy. He's realized that he has full authority, full power over the enemy, and his mission is to destroy the enemy. And that's what he does. And beloved, that's the realization that, that God is moving the church, particularly in this hour, into. That we are not only to sustain our lives against the enemy. We're not only called to live in the darkness. We're called to expand the kingdom of, dark, the kingdom of God within the darkness. That, you know, the gates of hell are not going to prevail against the forces of the kingdom of light. The kingdom of light, the, the church is expanding and will not hold back the kingdom of darkness. There will be no, 
there will be no end, beloved, to the kingdom of God. No end to the expansion of the kingdom of God. It will expand forever and ever and ever and ever. And God's called us in this, in this day, in this hour, to expand the kingdom of God in this city and in this nation. Just to remind you all again, this, this is actually why you're here. For whatever other reason you think you're here, you are here for the revival, for the expansion, for the building up of the church in this nation. This is why we're here. It's so easy to forget that. Uh, it was just, I don't know how long ago, I just seen Andy in the back and reminded of, of something that happened um, like a month or two ago where we're sitting in the apartment I used to live with with Brother Andy and Pastor Marcus before I, before I got married. Uh, but uh, we, uh, we started talking about the state of the nation of Korea and things that were going on and, and just things that we were discerning. And... Uh, and I think it was late and we're tired and wanted to go to bed. But I'm not sure who, who suggested it. But one of us suggested, why, you know, why don't we just spend some time praying about it? You know? And the realization hit me again. Like, man, that, that's, that's actually why we're here. Why wouldn't we? That's, that's our mission. That's why we're here. Why wouldn't we take time to pray for this? It doesn't make any sense not to. And that's just, that, that's why we're here. That's why we come tonight. But what we need to understand from this now is that when you know the authority that you have in Christ, everything in your life changes. Everything changes. You live differently if you understand your authority. You walk differently if you understand your authority. You relate to other people differently if you understand your authority. You pray differently if you understand your authority. Everything is completely different when you understand who you are. Pastor Krishna was talking a while ago. He used the analogy in one of our prayer meetings about how if you were a prince in a kingdom and you were walking through your kingdom and you noticed some injustice occurring, if you were a good prince, you would do something about that because you have the authority to do something to change that situation. If you were a prince in a kingdom, you would do something. So if you were a prince and you were walking through your kingdom and you saw a father beating his son, if you were a good prince, knowing your authority, you would do something about that. You wouldn't just walk by and pretend it didn't happen because you have the authority to do something about it. If you were walking through your kingdom as a prince and you saw women being mistreated, women being beaten, women being sold into slavery as prostitutes, if you were a prince and you saw this with your eyes and you understood it was happening in your kingdom, you would do something about it because you're the prince and you can do something about it. If you're walking through the townships of the kingdom, and you saw injustice happening, people stealing from other people, you would put a stop to it because you're the prince and you can do something about it. It wouldn't make any sense for the prince to just walk by, pretend it didn't happen. It would not make sense. We would not understand that. And this is what we also wouldn't understand. If this prince was walking through the streets, he has full authority as a prince, and he saw some injustice happening, some, a man beating a woman. 
And he were to say, wow, that's not just. I had better go back to the palace and tell the king that something unjust is happening and he's going to do something about it. Do you see how that doesn't make sense? You're the prince. Do something about it. You have authority, the authority that's been given to you by the king, so exercise your authority. You don't need to go running to the king every time there's an injustice happening in front of your face. The king has said, I give you all authority. Go cast out demons. Go cleanse lepers. Go heal the sick. Go give sight to the blind. Go do it. Go exercise authority. Go exercise justice in the land. Go do it. Because you're a prince. You are royalty. That's who you are. This changes the way you pray. Because you don't... It's important to pray to the Father in heaven. We need to pray to the Father in heaven. But we also need to understand that we don't always need to ask God to do something when he's given us authority to call things into existence. The thing is, when Jesus walked the earth, he didn't heal sick people by asking the Father to do it. He just said, be healed. And the person is healed. That's what he did. And we tend to think, when we think about that, we tend to think, well, that's Jesus. He's God. So he can do that because he's God, right? That's why the Bible gives us accounts of the apostles doing the same thing who are not God. You got Peter in Acts 3. He's going up to the temple to pray with John. He passes by the gate beautiful, and there is, a, a, there is a lame man there who's been lame his whole life, who's been begging for money. Every day he was laid there to beg for money. And Peter looks at him and says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. And the man walked. Because Peter understood his authority in Jesus. You got Peter doing the same thing in Acts 9. He's in a town called Lydda. There's a man named Aeneas who's there. He's been bedridden for eight years because he's crippled. Eight years. And Peter comes to him and he says something very interesting. He says this, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up, take care of your mat and go. Jesus Christ heals you. He doesn't say, Father, please heal this man in Jesus' name. He says, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up. Just a few verses later, there is a woman named Tabitha who is dead. She died, and she was a woman of God. She blessed the people of God. And Peter walks into her room, sends everyone out, walks into her room, and says, Tabitha, arise. And she gets up. We need to grow in understanding how God is calling us to pray. We need to pray to the Father in heaven, but God is also calling us to exercise our authority and saying, you know, I I'm not interested in you just asking me to do something. I want you to do something because I gave you authority to do it. Even in, in Luke 7, I believe, when, when Jesus is feeding the 5,000, there's a whole pile of people gathered to Jesus for his teaching and it's getting toward mealtime. 
And the disciples come to Jesus with a concern. They say, these people need to eat. You've got you to let them go home, you know? And Jesus turns to the disciples and says something very interesting. He says, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. I, I don't need to send them home. You just do it. Do it. I've already given you authority. Give them something to eat. And he's like, we've got five loaves and two fish. Uh, we, we can't feed this many people. But Jesus was not only testing them, but he was foreshadowing the miracles that the church would walk in and will walk in in the future. Beloved, the church, those who believe in Jesus will do greater works than he has done because we possess the authority of heaven that Jesus has given us. So when we pray for North Korea, we pray with authority from heaven. And we don't always need to ask God to do something. It's important to do that. But we tear down strongholds in Jesus' name. We shift mindsets in Jesus' name. We speak it forth. We decree and declare things in Jesus' name. We decree and declare concentration camps closing in the name of Jesus. Because, you see, you need three things for effective intercession. You need to know who God is and what he wants. You need to know the situation that you're praying for. You need to know something about that. And you need to know who you are and the authority you possess. And the first one, the first issue, in terms of you know, needing to know God and the heart of God, if we're honest with ourselves... We don't need to spend hours in prayer to find out what God wants. In general, we, we know what God wants. You know, it doesn't take you know, uh, a really high level of prophetic gifting to know that God is not interested in the regime of North Korea right now. You know, I don't need to be a great prophet to, to discern that. I just need to know something about God's heart, that God's not interested in this injustice, that it sickens him that it pains him and that his heart is for the freedom of all people, that this is his heart. Beloved, we just start praying his heart, decreeing and declaring his heart with the authority he's given us. And we see atmosphere shift. We see things change. We'll see North Korea freed in the name of Jesus. We're going to see this nation change in the name of Jesus. We're going to see the revival of this church in the name of Jesus. We're going to see suicide rates drop in the name of Jesus. We're going to see divorce rates drop in the name of Jesus. Because his people are rising up in this hour in the authority that he has given them. People are rising up. The army is rising up in this hour. That's who you are. Beloved, that is who you are. We need to understand not only who we are, but the people around us, who they are. Because when you look out in this room, when I look out in this room, you know what I see? I see a room filled with royalty. I see an assembly of kings. I see an assembly of people of royal birth, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people belonging to God. When you look at the people around you and you understand that they are royalty, that they possess authority too, and you join hearts together and you pray together and you decree and declare things together with one heart, with one voice, beloved, there is great power in that. There is great power in that.
if two or more of you are gathered in my name, and he, he's with you, and when you agree on something with people around you, there's, you're pulling together in the name of Jesus, in the passions and the desires of Jesus. And beloved, we're going to see this nation change for the glory of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look back on these times and we'll remember them fondly because they were times of warfare where we did not see the end result, but we pressed in anyways. Oh, beloved, we, we need to understand how sweet these times are. Every prayer meeting we go to, whatever church you're at, whatever prayer meetings you're going to, those are sweet sweet times where the saints are gathered to decree and declare the heart and the passions of the living God and to partner with God to see those things come to fruition, come to existence. I, I, too, I too easily forget what kind of privilege this is. What kind of privilege it is to not, not to preach here, to pray here to decree and declare the heart of the living God with you all, with royalty across this room. You need to understand the people around you are royalty. The people around you are seated with you at the right hand of the Father. So, beloved, as we pray, my prayer is that our revelation, our level of revelation as to who we are will only increase and increase and increase and increase. Because even now, we only catch the smallest glimpse of it. Even now, we're just getting, we're just getting the smallest piece of who we actually, the, the glory that we are called to is infinite, beloved. It would blow our minds if we actually understood it. We are called to things so much greater than we understand. And we're only catching the smallest piece of it right now. But my prayer is that that revelation would grow stronger and stronger and clearer and clearer as the days go by. Every prayer meeting we go to, every prayer meeting we engage in, that revelation would grow stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. We're not here to just make a bunch of noise, beloved. We're here to exercise authority. We're here to decree and declare the heart of God into existence. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for what you have done for us, God. Not by anything we have done, God, but by the blood of Jesus, through the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus. You have lifted us up and you have seated us with him in heavenly places. And it's from this place that we live. It's from this place we move and have our being. It's from this place that we pray. It's from this place that we worship you. So I pray right now that revelation would go forth in the name of Jesus into every heart. Into every heart.